Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Book Journeys Radio. This is Dr. Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the Different Process for Writing a Book That Matters. And every week on Book Journeys, we talk to an author about their experience of writing their first book, what they've learned, and what you can learn from them as you're in the process of writing your book. Uh, we have a an author this week who's written a couple books. Danny Kofke is the author of How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. And he is uh, also the author of a book called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Angela. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. So I am excited about your books. They're, they're great topics. Can you tell us a little bit about um, How to Survive on a Teacher's Salary and um, and your financial wisdom, a simple book of financial wisdom? Absolutely. Um, um, How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. That was released in October of 2007, and that was, um, I published that, and I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but it was what's, what I guess referred to or known as then as a vanity press where I did have to pay a decent amount up front to have that published. Um, but um, at that time, um, now I'm still am a, a school teacher, um, living off of, we were living off of one um, salary, a teacher's salary. And uh, we had two children. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. She actually just went back to work last week as a teacher. So a stay-at-home mom for nine years. But um, but at the time when that book came out, there was a study done by the National Education Association, and it said that 50% of teachers quit the profession within the first five years, and that was partially due to low pay. And around the same time, there was a general social survey that came out that said teaching ranked among the top ten most satisfying careers. And that's where I just wanted to show my colleagues uh, a different way and to say, you know what, if you want to do well on a teacher's salary, you can. It's not going to be easy, but here is our story. So that was kind of the premise for the first book. And, you know, like anything, Tracy and I and my wife, we have a different story than anyone else. So, um, you know, not everyone could relate to that book per se, because, I mean, some of the things we did, we taught overseas for a couple of years, um, we bought small homes, just little things like that that maybe not everyone has the same advantages, I guess, that we did or the same made the same decisions. So that's when I felt like I really wanted another book, and I had a better book in me. And I didn't want to just narrow it to a, a particular audience, whereas my first book was definitely geared towards teachers. So then I sat down and, and wrote another book, uh, a simple book of financial wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids, How to Live Wealthy with Little Money, and that one was released in September of 2011, and um, I, I did have some media success with my first book. And because of that, I was actually able to find an independent publisher for my second one, which was great for me because I didn't have to put any money up front to have it published. So that was nice. you know, a wonderful Yes, it was wonderful for me because we're still at that point. We were still living on my teacher's salary. So we don't have a lot of disposable income. Um, You know, a lot of it goes towards living. A teacher's salary here, about $41,000 a year. So there's not a lot left over. So that was really, you know, great for for us, for our uh, bank account, is that we were able to do that for free. So um, it it was just a good experience. And, And with that book, you know, I just felt like we had learned so much since I'd written my first book, um, we had added another daughter to the mix. So we were raising a family, two kids, still Tracy stayed at home. But despite that, we had no debt except our mortgage. We invest each month for our retirement. We have an emergency fund in place. And I didn't want to just gear it towards a, a particular audience like I did with my first one. I wanted it to be able to help anyone from teachers to firefighters to CEOs, whatever, and just give some specific financial tips 
that could help them improve their their financial life. And uh, you know, at that time when the book came out, beginning of or middle of 2011, the economy was still uh, you know we were still you know not back to where we were in the early 2000s. So a lot of people were still seeking that financial advice. And honestly, I felt like I had, it's a much better book than my first one, I feel like. And I think, you know, if that's any author should go for that. The, the first book, you know, you, you always improve from something from the beginning. And as a teacher, we always want that, too. So so that was my experience with publishing. And then, actually, um, I do have a third book that is currently with a literary agent right now. So uh, so hopefully that gets picked up uh, pretty soon. It's been with her since uh, January. But it was kind of cool with my publishing journey where I first started off where I had to pay a decent amount up front to have it published. Then my second book, I independent published, so I didn't have to worry about paying anything. And now with this third book, I was actually fortunate enough to land a literary agent. So it was just kind of a, a cool progression with and maybe my publishing. And you getting advanced. Yeah, that's great. Right, right. We never so, know. Right. So, yes. So what would you say are some of the key lessons you learned um, from writing that first book, the teacher salary book? What what are some of the things that you learned that you think made that's made your progression? Like I know it's not like an overnight success, but – you definitely mm-hmm. progressed from your first book to your second one. What What do you think were some of those linchpin moments for you? Right. Well, first, um, you know, it's patience. That. Oh, I guess first was back. Write it. Um, that's when I talk to so many people, and they say they'd really love to write a book, but yet they don't spend the time to sit down and write it. I mean, that's the most important step to any book is you have to actually write the thing. So got it. Key, you noted. <laughs> you know. Just believe in yourself and just uh, most of us have something to share. Now, you know, like me, when my first book came out, I, you know, dreamed of being on Oprah and, you know, making a million dollars. And I did realize my expectations were probably too high. I hope it still happens one day. But, um, you know, even with my book, with some of the media success, I mean, I've been on national TV over uh, 40 times. I've actually been interviewed on over 360 radio shows. So I have had some national exposure, and it's taken time to build it up. But even saying that, I'm not able to live off my author salary alone. So I think that's a big thing for me, too, is just realize when you are writing a book and publishing it, and I'm not saying that you know it won't be the next bestseller, and I think everyone should shoot for that, but when you're realistic, most of us aren't going to be able to quit our day jobs and just live off of being an author. Um, I, I think I read a study that it's like 99% of books uh, published sell less than 5,000 copies. So it, it's just it's a hard, it's a hard, hard thing to do. So you do have to look at your primary uh, motivation for writing a book. And, and you know, for me, it was and what to share was that information. in your case? Yeah, it was. I felt like I had a story to share. I felt the information I could share with my first book, especially, would benefit teachers. I wanted them to be able to stay in the profession, good teachers, to stay teachers, so we can have uh, you know a, a better country, uh, have a better educated force, workforce. Um, with my second book, it was to help others that were struggling with their money. So many people were during the Great Recession. They didn't know what they were doing. Um, and, and I wanted to break it down and say it doesn't have to be that difficult. And if, you know, the school teacher can do it, you can do it too. You don't need a four-year economics degree to know that you should spend less than you earn. It's not tough. So that's where I just I felt like I had some knowledge to share. Um, for some people, when you write a book, I almost look at it like it's the new college degree. It just kind of gives you some credence that you otherwise wouldn't have. And depending on what your profession is, um, you know, if you're a real estate agent and you write a book, well, then you have some natural built-in clients that you give it to. If you're able, if you're someone that does some public speaking, well, if you have a book to sell afterwards, you can add a little income. So it's just you just you have to be realistic and look at it. 
but most of us, you know, we have a story to share. We have information or we're able to inform. And if you're serious about writing a book, now more than ever, even when I wrote my first book, there's so many more options now that are so – it's easy. Um, even with the Kindle now, you can download it straight to Amazon. You don't have to pay anything and have an e-book. There is some work to be done with the, the formatting and getting a cover, but it's, it's a lot easier right now than it was 10 years ago to publish a book. So I, I just – Try to inspire authors or would-be authors out there that if you really want to do it, you can do it. Yeah, you're going to have to map out some time. I'm at a lot and still do have a lot of 5 a.m. mornings. I'm up before the family is and well, yeah, working so on it. Talk about your, let's talk about what your writing schedule has been like. What's worked for you in terms of being able to produce these books? Because a lot of people have ideas right. for books, but they haven't kind of figured out how to fit that into their life. So, so tell right. us about your writing schedule. Yeah, it's just so interesting, you know, when people say, oh, I just don't have time, I don't have time. And, you know, I try to say, well, you know, we, we have the same amount of time that Einstein did. We have the same amount of time that Beethoven did in a day. Uh, we all have the same 24 hours. So you just have to map it out accordingly. You may not be able to watch TV as much or, or do some of the things you like and sacrifice for a few months, but it can be done. And, and that's the thing. When we think about writing a book, there's this, you know, romantic thing where you got to be in an outdoor cafe and, and writing it or cooped up in a cabin. And, I, I always know, we, say, yeah, it's a cabin in Maine, right? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, my three books – we're all written, um, well, my first book, we lived in Florida at that time, so it was written at my dining room table there. The last two have been written sitting on my couch in the middle of my living room um, at 5.30 in the morning before my kids are up. So it's just one of those things that I, I just, you know, and I have a nine and a six-year-old, so very busy, very active, but um, I'm serious about it. And if you want something bad enough, you just get up before they do. And it's so amazing. You, that you're you, never... morning, and you write yes. for about an hour in the morning? Is that the... Yes, it, it just depends. If, if I'm really, you know, if I'm working on a book, I'm one of those that hammers it out. I don't just, you know, some people are good about writing for a while and taking a break. And I think with nonfiction, it's a little bit easier because we're talking about factual information. And I know with fiction writers, it's that creative side. So sometimes you have to wait till you till you can come up with an idea. But yeah, that's kind of the way I do it. I just get up before the family, and then I'm not taking away any time for them, and then I just get to work on it. And have you tried, did you try uh, writing at other times? Did you try writing at night? Did you try writing on weekends? Like, how did you come up with that that was the time that was most effective for you? I'm just a morning person, and having two young daughters, um, when the day starts, uh, life happens, and it gets crazy. And I know, same you know, with my exercise program, I know I should do it before they get It's just one of those things that if I wait to do it until 7 o'clock at night, and now, you know, being a school teacher, we're back at school. I'm tired. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. So I know for me it works best with my schedule. I know some people are better at their night owls, and that's fine. You just you have to find what fits you, and, and that's kind of what I did, and I'm just more of a more. And so, and you I'm, know what, you know how uh, long it took you, like how, how long did you spend on actually writing the book and getting to a finished manuscript? Well, I mean, I was, I'm, like I said, when I have something in mind, I kind of hit it hard. So my first book, I think when I was all, it was about a month total. Um, and it wasn't even writing every single day. It was just, you know, there's some days I didn't. And with my second book, I actually, um, as a teacher, I, over Christmas break, I got up really early during my Christmas break. We had two weeks off, and I kind of hammered most of it out. Now, there's still, you know, some edits, but the meat of it, is kind of what I got done. And that's, you know, for any author, I would encourage to do that. Just you get it all down and then maybe take a week break, and that way you're not even looking at it. And then you can go back with a fresh set, you know, a pair of uh, fresh eyes and then look over it and, and just kind of come up with some other things. But, um, but for the meat of it, for most of the things I did, it probably took about two to three weeks. 
That's fantastic. And how? And so with your first book, you said that you used an author-funded publisher. Why don't you talk to us about that process? How did you find that publisher? Yeah. How long did that take, and what was that experience like for you? Right. It, it didn't take uh, too long for me. I mean, honestly, I didn't really even think about having a book published until someone mentioned it. I thought it was just kind of cool to have my words, you know, printed out on a Word document. But um, I looked around, and then I realized shortly after that that to get in with the major publishing houses, you have to have a literary agent. And I really wasn't, I didn't even, like I said, consider having it published. So then I just looked around, and there was a publishing company, Tate Publishing Company, um, and they accepted it. But I did have to pay. It was about $4,000 up front to have it published. And that's not pocket change, and it, it was a big investment on our part. And Tracy, my wife, and I looked at it almost like starting a business. And, uh, you know, it was $4,000, and we had an emergency fund set up, and we felt like this would be a, a good risk to take. It's not for everyone. Oh, cool. It's cool. There's a salesman. Um, and, uh, but, but it just was right for us. Um, so the, the cool thing about with, with Tate, though, too, there was a way for me to earn my money back, that four grand up front um, if I sold 5,000 copies, which I still haven't yet, still working on that, but you get that four grand automatically up front. And I kind of looked at it like since this book was geared towards teachers, let's just say if there were only 100,000 teachers in America and just 5% bought the book, well, that would be 5,000 copies. But, um, but I am happy to say I have made my money back for um, royalty statements. I sold enough to where I have um, incurred that cost back, but it did take a number of years. Um, so you have hmm. to be patient. So, I mean, it was – I understood it at that point. I was a, just a school teacher, no media, no nothing. So I understood it from a business point of view. They're not just going to waste money. You know, they can't just do that with everyone. Um, so so I did. I, I recommend if you have that money and you want – I don't have any problem with the books that they publish or anything. So it was – but nowadays, I will say, that's a lot of money when you can publish for a lot cheaper – so I would probably check all options before, you know, putting a huge investment in it because the publishing industry is changing so much. And probably next month it's going to be different than this month. So it's just really yeah, it evolving. Yeah, it's moving pretty quickly. Right, so that was very, Tate very publishing fast. company, and they're still around? Yes, they are, correct. Right, okay. And then book number and two then, kind of went a different way. Yeah. How did that emerge? Well, I actually submitted it with Tate again, but um, – they wanted the initial four grand up front, and I really, I said, you know, I've worked very hard. I've marketed myself. I don't have a PR person. I've done, you saw how hard I've worked, and if I made my money back through royalties, I know I made them a lot of money, so I kind of thought maybe they're just going to let me, you know, do it for free. They see how hard I work, but um, but no, they still wanted that money, so I said, no, if I'm not, I'm not parting with the money um, this time, so then I looked for some independent, independent publishing houses, still didn't want to go the literary agent route yet. And then, um, actually, I had three publishing companies uh, want the book, and then I talked with all three. And the one I went with, Wyatt McKenzie, they're a smaller independent press, um, but she did a wonderful job with it. She helped me create a website and everything. So, I mean, I have uh, just wonderful things to say about um, Nancy as the owner of Wyatt McKenzie. And uh, just a great experience for me. Um, you know, the, the coolest thing is I didn't have to and worry about – And how did you find those uh, independent publishers? Did you use, like, Writer's Market or – well, I just did a basic Google search, and I just said mm -hmm. independent publishing companies. And, you know, a bunch came up, and I just wrote them down, wrote down contact information, and then I just uh, submitted my pitch. And I, you know, shared all the information I had about the media that I've been on and how hard I would market and work to market my book. So, um, and they they liked it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing is um, that people don't realize is publishers care about your book topic but they care a whole lot more about your marketing strategy. So the fact that you oh, have done your own PR. Yeah. 
Yes, I have realized that right now. Even okay, saying what I you know with my um, media experience, and I'm not you know huge, but I mean to, to, for myself, this little old guy to have been you know, I mean just this past week, and I was on Fox News. I've been on Fox and Friends, CNN, um, CBS Early Show, so I have some national media exposure. And even with this newest book that I have, that's with a literary agent, she presented it to a couple of the big publishing houses. And they said that my platform wasn't big enough. So it's just one of those things. It just kind of opened my eyes at how it's tough. And, and especially right now in the publishing industry, they really they need to know that they can't take a risk. They're, they're losing a lot of money with bookstores closing and everything. So it is a very tough industry. So I'm saying that especially for would-be authors out there that really want to do it. Self-publishing, there is nothing wrong with being a self-published author. And it used to be this horrible stigma attached with it. But And you can Google it. There are so many success stories of people that are self-published that have gone on to sell millions of copies and become very, very wealthy and, and acclaimed authors. So, And honestly, being a self-published author, you really will probably make more money. Um, yeah, it's nice to get an advance if you sign with a major publishing house, but I read another stat that it, I think it was something like 25% of authors um, earn their advance back. So that means 75% don't even – earn out that advance. And for those that don't know, I mean, like if you get an advance up front, if I get $5,000, say, up front for a book, I don't collect any royalty checks until the publishing company has made $5,000, until they've sold enough books to where they can pay me. So that's where, you know, some people think, oh, it's great to get that advance up front. But um, but really, to me, either way, it doesn't matter because then you're not getting royalty checks. So um, either way, I think it, it, as long as you get that book published, I think you're a winner no matter what. So when you started, though, with your first book, you didn't really understand the concept of a platform or the kind of focus you'd need to have on marketing. So what were some nope, of nope. the – yeah, so what were, so tell us some of the lessons or surprises. How did you figure it out, and how did you, how did you decide? Because there's obviously a lot of ways you can promote your book. How did you pick the right. ways that you picked? Right. Well, I, you know, like I said, I started off thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, be on the biggest news shows, and I slowly uh, realized that wasn't going to this happen. This is the, so if what you I, build it, they will come school of uh, yeah, becoming an author. Yeah, there you go. I think it, You're going to write a great right, book, everyone, and somebody's going to find you. Right. That's, and, you know, like when you open a bit, you think that's what happens, and it does occasionally, but usually, no, it doesn't, unless it's, you know, Fifty Shades of Finance or something. It's probably not happening. Um, <laughs> So um so what you know what I did I started off small um and many you know in the town you live in local newspapers they love running features about people that are doing something cool in the community um local radio All right, shows, but where did so you I, get that idea where did you just, get that idea to start going to media I just I you know what I really honestly I don't I kind of don't remember I just thought oh I want to be able to spread my message and I I'd mm-hmm. love to start getting on TV um, so that I just, in the year between I signed my contract and when the book came out, I just did some research and I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up with some contacts to email once my book comes out. So I, I don't know, I guess I just thought it was a natural progression. I mean, maybe I think differently than I, now that you asked me that, it's the first time someone's ever asked me, and I really don't remember what sparked that. I think I just thought, Hey, I have this book. I'm going to have to promote it myself because I don't have a PR person. Let's get started. So I think that's kind of what I did. I just sat down and, and I looked up with my book being, you know, about um, finance. I think I did a Google search, too, for just like, a, you know, radio shows about personal finance or, or radio shows mm-hmm. talking about money. And when you do that, you get such a big list. So that's kind of what I did. And I just wrote down all this contact information. And, you know, my beginning 
were very um, rough, I would say. I, and, and this is something, I mean, I always put a stat in there. And that's, you know, because producers, look, you know, did you know that 50% of teachers quit the profession within five years? That kind of stands out. And that has someone, they want to read a little bit more. And that is key, I think, whenever you're pitching. And I know most reporters, producers like it via email. And the subject's really important, too. So, like, with my first book, I think in the subject I'd put something like thriving on a teacher's salary. So hopefully they'll open the email, then I catch them with that first sentence, and then they keep reading. Now, granted, my first, you know, pitch when I had no media or no anything – it was a little harder because I had nothing to share. I just kind of shared some basic information about me and my book. But the cool thing is once I started, and that's where the local played in. Like um, we live about an hour outside of Atlanta, so they have the local ABC, local NBC, local Fox stations. So I started pitching them, and I was fortunate. I got on my first um, television interview was with the local, the local NBC station. But then they sent me the link. All right, so now when I'm emailing producers, I can send a link of me on TV, so it's not a guessing game for them, and they can say, okay, this is how this guy sounds, this is how this guy looks, he's not a complete idiot, he may do a good job. So that was huge, but it, it all started with me starting off small, and that's, that was big. It's just, you know, I wanted to start off big, but I think, um, you know, God had my best intentions in mind where I had a lot of practice before, you know, my first major um, interview. My book came out, like I said, in October of '07. My first um, big-time interview was in January of 2010, and I was on Fox and Friends. So in front of, you know, over a million people. And by that you mean national. So you've been doing local stuff for a couple of years, a good solid two right. or three years of doing local media. I think people right. don't but get I'm, that. Not only do you need the clips in order to, you know, prove your credibility to be on national TV, but you need the experience so that you don't yeah. blow it, the, you know, and it sounds like practice. when you went on for the first time, right. That you yeah, had a I wasn't nervous. Confidence and. Mm-hmm. And that's big. Those small radio interviews, people don't look at them. But for me, even if I have, first off, if even if I have one person listening, if I'm helping that one person, then it's gravy. I mean, I'm helping someone, and that's what it's about. For me, for my book, that's what I want to do. So I never try to look at the audience size. But on the on up my two, if I'm on as many radio shows as possible, that just prepares me for future. Right. National TV. You got three minutes. You got. So, how did you? So you've done all your own um, securing your own media opportunities. Yes. You've and done it so, all. what's a what's a tip that you would give to somebody um, to kind of get the attention of a reporter to kind of get picked up for a show? Well, first, I mean, what's big is you tie it into a recent event, um, especially on national media with the big news shows. They, they want current events. If my books had come out in the beginning of 2000 when people were buying like there was no tomorrow, the economy was you know, going up, people were buying homes they couldn't afford and just spending money like crazy, no one's going to listen to me. They're going to say, this guy's an idiot. I don't feel like saving money. Who cares? But, see, I was fortunate that when my first book came out, that's when the economy started to take a nosedive. And then with my second book, it was in the recession. So here it was. Here's a real-life example of someone that's raising his family on a teacher's salary, that's saving money, that knows what they're doing, and that the average person can relate to. And that's where I try to tie it into something that's relevant as being a school teacher. I do that as well. I was actually on Fox & Friends the second time, but we were discussing teacher tenure. And it was nothing to do with my book. 
But the cool thing, a lot of times when you have a book, even if you're on TV and it's not really discussing the topic of your book, they always will say, Danny Kofke, author of, and then they show a picture of my book. So once again, the mm-hmm. book is out there even though I'm not discussing it. So that's where you have to play into recent recent events because producers, if they're going to have you on their show, they either want to entertain or inform their audience. Those are basically the two two main reasons. And then when you have some recent newsworthy event, that's when you can really get in there and then you can tie it locally. So that's where, especially with finance books, for me, a lot of times, too, I'll pitch in January because that's the biggest month for setting resolutions, and a lot of people set resolutions for handling money better. And actually, another good month is next month after Labor Day. Once the kids go back to school, parents want to start sitting down and kind of getting back on track again with their money. So you just have to tie it into timely topics. Um, you know, right now, you know, with everything going on, I mean, just try to find something that's timely. There was actually a, a study released yesterday that think the average um, to, to, to raise a child, it's going to cost the average middle income earner like two hundred fifty thousand dollars from birth to eighteen. So you have something to wow. share with that. Bam, you can tie it into something recent. Um, so anything that you know, you just look for for recent events, um, newsworthy items. If you have something on Benghazi right now, since that's hot, if you can tie it into that. So it's just it may not always relate to your book, but if you're an expert like with me, since I am a teacher, there was actually a testing scandal of. Uh, in the Atlantic Public Schools here uh, last year, there were teachers cheating on the, the national test. But since I had been on a couple shows before, even though I was talking about money, they knew I was a teacher. And actually two shows, two uh, Fox Business shows called me and wanted me on their shows to discuss teacher cheating. Um, even though it had nothing to do with my book, they still mentioned I was the author of the book and then mentioned that I'm a teacher. So you just, like I said, kind of have to look for relevant things that happen in the news and tie it into it. Yeah, I think that's terrific advice, and I think that, um, you know, even authors that are in the middle of writing their book can kind of practice, um, you know, practice figuring out what those hooks would be. Um, right, and that's big. And then it's there's, a great you know, exercise you can, that can actually help you write a better book when you realize, you know, how you're going right. to sell it. Right, and you can Google. I mean, there's certain things during – there's certain, um, you know – uh, for magazines and stuff, they pitch certain things in different months. So you, you kind of have to be relevant, too. You know, if you wrote a book that had something to do around the holidays or Christmas, well, then you start pitching around November and it's timely. So you just when you pay attention to what's going on, too, you can tie it around um, certain things. If you wrote a book for, you know, like uh, a graduates or something, well, obviously you start pitching that around April, uh, beginning of May, because graduation season's coming up. So you just have to, to me, kind of pay attention to what's happening in the news, too, and just try to tie it in as best you can. Yeah. So you so you said the reason that you wrote a book was to help people. Mm-hmm. What What's the best thing that's come out of being an author for you? Well, I mean, it is, you know, it's cool to be on TV. It's cool, and I mean, all that's wonderful. But it really is for me, since my motivation was to help people, um, you know, one of the things I'll never forget, it was with my first book, and it was like a year after I um, had written it, I got an email from a college student that said she had read about my book in the paper, went and bought it, and she said that, um, you know, her dad told her never get into teaching, you won't make any money, um, and it's going to be a horrible life for you, you're going to be poor, and then she said, I read your book, and I realized, you know what, I love being, I want to be a teacher, that's my passion, so I'm going to continue because I've realized that I can do it on a teacher's salary. And I just that made me, you know, I actually it did. Yeah. It made me cry. I'm like, wow, that's wonderful that I was able to help that, that person 
pursue something that they are passionate about. So that's kind of for me, yes, it's nice to have my name, you know, in, on TV, and it's nice to have a little extra income coming in. But, um, you know, the, the price, money only goes so far, and that's the thing. I mean, I, if I made a million dollars, I mean, at some point it, it's not – it's not about the money. Yes, I guess you could say I'd be a lot happier. I'd have a lot more things. But it really, you know, at the end of the day when you write a book, to, to me the coolest thing about it is that it's going to be around for my great-grandkids that I don't even know right now. They're going to be able to see it. And that's kind of, to me, it's kind of a cool, cool thing to know that you can leave a lasting legacy for generations to come. Yeah. Yeah, the legacy aspect, I think, is is a big part of it for a lot of people. but when you start to get those emails and phone calls saying, you know, your book made a difference in my life, I think that's where it gets really real. So I love that story. Yeah, and I'll just say for authors out there, too, on the flip side of it, be prepared because no matter what, when you put something out there, you're going to get some hate. Um, It just, and and you'll probably be anonymously, but I've had people, and like I said, all I'm trying to do is help, you wouldn't believe some of the emails I've received telling me I'm a piece of trash and I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm crazy. And one lady even looked me up and found out how much my taxes were one year. I mean, just people, it's just, and maybe because I've written a book about money, people get very defensive about that, but just be prepared to sometimes you do get those books that, um, that are hate mail and, and, and they just tell you that they, they think you're no good and you just have to have thick skin. That's what I've realized that I, I know I'm just trying to help people. I'm really not saying anything that, uh, you know, is trying to inflame anyone. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm just kind of stating the facts. But, you know, I've had people write me and say I'm a liar and there's no way that we live off my teacher's salary. And it just, it's one of those wow. things. We live in that time. Yeah, it just you just have to realize that that when you put yourself out there, we live in a society nowadays where you know you can make yourself feel better two ways. You can either go out and do something, or you can put someone else down. And yeah. unfortunately, some people like to put others down. So just be prepared. Yeah, I'm not well, saying it will happen to everyone, but in case it does, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great forewarning. And um, Danny Kofke, it's K O F K E. He is the author of a simple book of financial wisdom and how to survive and perhaps thrive on a teacher's salary. Danny, thanks for being with us today. You got it. Thanks so much for having me on, Angel. I enjoyed it. Me too. We will be back next week with another episode of Book Journeys Radio where we are changing the world one book at a time.